on Jesus Heals Today. And if you are at all interested in that, there is a sign-up sheet uh, out here in, on the Welcome Center. So be sure to you know, sign up for that. If you don't sign up and you just come, that's okay. But if you um, are interested, uh, we would like to know if, and, and it's, not a, it's not a commitment. If you just, you know, sign up and you're not sure, go ahead and sign up and, and we'll get in touch with you. But uh, we want to know uh, who's interested in this so we can uh, further communicate a little more with you. So um, if you have any interest at all, go ahead and, and just shine, sign up to indicate that. Um, I want to give a shout out before we go any further uh, to uh, a couple of people. Karen, where's Karen? Karen, over here, over there, wave, wave, okay. And uh, uh, Karen and Pam uh, are responsible for this, uh, all of this, so we want to just say thank you for all the work you put in there. The other person I want to give a... The other person I wanted to give a shout out to is not in here right now, but they are in with the kids because he is a kid. But Dom gave me these this morning. He knows I like peeps. And he goes, do you like peeps? I said, yeah, I do. Well, he here's a peep sucker. <laughs> and I uh, said, okay, thank you. And then he said, it's you, right? And I said, <laughs> and I said yes, I'm me, the last I checked. So uh, in about another year or two, these will be ready to eat when they're sufficiently stale. How many, how many people here do we have that like stale peeps? Yeah, you got to wait till they get stale, right? I've got one of these at home that's like starting to get ready. So another year or two, that'll be ready. So thank you, Dom, uh, for that. Um, well, we're, we're so excited that you came to celebrate with us today this um, Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. Um, you know, today we've got, there's believers all over the world, literally all over the world, um, um, uh, uh, gathering together to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Some of them openly in churches. We thank God we have that freedom here. Some gathering in secret places and hiding uh, because they're not free to worship and they're risking arrest. They're risking uh, uh, their lives uh, by by coming together and celebrating, but they're still doing it because it's that important of a day. It's that important of an event. Uh, it's an event in history uh, that that uh, 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 just changes everything. An event that just changes everything. And and um, you know that day that when you know after being executed on a Roman cross some over two thousand years ago. You know, that Jesus then rose from the grave. Sometimes we hear that and we just kind of take it for, for advantage or take it for granted and think, you know, well, you know, yeah, I know the story. I've heard lots of times, but think about it. He was dead and he rose from the grave. And that moment literally changed everything. And this is, this is how it happened. We're going to tell the story. Toward the end of the Jesus ministry on earth, he had come to be a threat. He had come to be seen as a threat by the religious establishment. And they were, they were one thing, they were jealous of his popularity. They wanted to get rid of him. You know, and Judas, one of his followers, was disillusioned. Things weren't turning out the way he thought. He thought he, there, he was going to come in and lead a political revolt, uh, a, a political, you know, takeover and, and, and throw the Romans out of Jerusalem and out of Israel and 
and, and Judah, and, 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 but it didn't happen that way. So he became disillusioned. He made arrangements then to betray Jesus. So he betrays him, and then Jesus is arrested, and he's put through a sham of a trial. And this trial was illegal in, in a number of ways. For one, it would happen at night, which was illegal, but it was, it, it was an illegal trial. He was, he was railroaded through it, and then he was sentenced to death. And then he was very publicly executed, publicly, for anybody to see. His disciples bailed on him. The only one that hung around was John. All the rest bailed on him. They all ran. And then Friday evening comes, and Jesus is in the tomb. He's placed in the tomb. Friday evening comes and goes without incident. His body's just laying there, lifeless. The disciples were in hiding, wondering if they were going to be next. Saturday comes. The religious leaders are high-fiving themselves for their apparent success. They were, he's gone. We don't have to worry about it anymore. The troublemaker's gone. Problem solved, or so they thought. But there's something that they didn't figure on. There's something that those in power didn't consider. And everyone here, I'm sure, knows the story, but I want to read it this morning. Powerful story. I love to read history. Starting in Matthew 28, 1. This is what happened. After he was crucified, after he was buried, early Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. You see, the thing is with, the, the, with Mary and, and Mary, the thing is with the women, is when Jesus was buried, it, it, he, he died and was buried quickly before the Sabbath hit. He had to be buried before the Sabbath hit. They didn't have time to give him a proper burial. They didn't have time to go and, and um, um, you know, prepare his body normally. They just had time to, to you know, lay him out in the tomb, roll the stone over, figure we'll come back and do the rest next. So they went home and they prepared the spices and then they rested on the Sabbath. And then early Sunday morning they went out to visit the tomb with the spices. They were going to prepare the body for, properly for burial. And then suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. His face shone like lightning, and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. I think that would be my response, too. Don't you? I, if I saw that, if I was there, I mean, let's put ourselves right there. I'd be with the guards flat out, dead faint. And then the angel spoke to the women, don't be afraid, he said. I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here. He's risen from the dead, just as he said it would happen. Come, see where his body was lying, and now go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead, and he's going ahead of you to Galilee. You'll see him there. Remember what I've told you. And the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were frightened but also filled with great joy. And they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. And as they went, Jesus met them and greeted them. They ran to him, grasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they'll see me there. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. 
A meeting with the elders was called, and, and they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe. They told the soldiers, you must say Jesus' disciples came during the night while they were sleeping, and they stole his body. If the governor hears about it, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. You see, the, 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 the penalty for falling asleep, as they were told to say that what, that's what happened, penalty was death for a Roman guard to fall asleep. So if the governor hears about it, says, we'll stand up for you so you won't get in trouble. Don't worry about it. And so the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some of them doubted. And Jesus told his disciples, I've been, on, I, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Gee, when Jesus was laid in the tomb, everyone thought that was the end of the story. But Sunday morning was a game changer. We all know the story. But then, nobody expected what happened. Nobody saw it coming. I mean, I can imagine the disciples, you know, just, just standing around after seeing the risen Jesus. You know, they had watched him die. They had watched him, you know, the, he had been in the grave. And then they meet him alive. And I can just, you know, see them like, looking at each other and talking, man, this, this, this changes everything. This changes everything. It's a game changer. The resurrection of Christ turns the world as we thought we knew it, upside down, changes everything. Today we're going to look at a couple of the details, a few of the details of the story in Matthew 28 because it tells us how to respond, what should be our response to the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So today's message is the resurrection, what now? What now? Since Jesus was raised from the dead, what does that mean? What do we do now? How do we respond? Specifically, I want to look at three ways to respond to the resurrection of Jesus. First of all, in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the first thing is to let go of yesterday's fear. Let go of yesterday's fear. The women were on their way to the tomb to prepare the body for burial. They had to treat it with the spices and, and all that that they had. They didn't have time before because the Sabbath was fast approaching. So you know, they just had time to lay his body in the tomb, seal it up. So they gathered the spices and they headed for the tomb. They were not prepared for what was about to happen. They approached the tomb. The ground shook. The stone was rolled away, and they see an angel sitting on it. The guards fainted dead away. The angel spoke to the women. The first thing he said, first thing the angel said was, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Literally in the Greek, it's stop being afraid. A few moments later, they ran from the tomb. They ran right into Jesus. And what did he say? He said the same thing. 
said, don't be afraid or stop being afraid. I think it's interesting that the first thing that the women were told after the resurrection by both the angel and then by Jesus is you can stop being afraid now. Some of us here this morning need to hear that message and take it to heart. Some of us here this morning need to really listen to what the angel told those women and what Jesus told those women after the resurrection that it's time to stop being afraid. We live in a culture of fear, don't we? It's put at us. It's fed to us from everywhere. I mean, yesterday we're watching a basketball game and and some commercial for a video game came on. And when that commercial came on with the most demonic and fear-inducing visual picture that you could imagine. I mean, it just right in the middle of an NBA game, right? I mean, boom, and it's right there. I mean, everywhere we look, and it came on with no warning. But everywhere we look, we have fear just pumped at us all the time. We're told to fear. We're told to worry. We're told to, to you know, to, to expect the worst. We fear the future. We fear the unknown. We fear people. We fear being alone. We fear disease. We fear death. We fear failure. We fear that we're not enough. Whatever there is to fear, you, there, how many remember the show Monk? You know, remember him? How many fears did he have? How many phobias did he have? How many? I don't know either. I don't think he knows. I don't think they count that high. But, I mean, we are told, that's, that, that's like our society, we are told to fear everything. We're surrounded by it. Am I right? I want to ask, what do you fear? And if you're saying, oh, I don't fear anything, think again, because we all do. It's some part of our human nature. What do you fear? Everybody experiences. What is your fear? Are you afraid that ultimately God that, that, you know, can't win the battle that you're facing? That ultimately He's not going to come through for you? Do you feel alone? Do you fear being alone? Do you fear being vulnerable? Afraid of what lies ahead? Are you afraid because everything you thought you knew just got turned upside down and now you don't know what to think or who to, who to trust? Just like the women at the, at the tomb, you know, going to anoint Jesus' body with oil, all of a sudden, you know, their, their, their hopes and all their dreams had just been dashed and they didn't know what to think. And then they were told, you don't have to fear anymore. Whatever it is you're afraid of, the good news is you can stop being afraid now. The tomb is empty. Jesus conquered death he conquered the grave if he was still in the tomb then we would have reason to fear because it would mean that there is a power greater than jesus that there would be that there is a limit to jesus power but the fact that he rose from the dead demonstrates and proves there is no power greater than him he's greater than any He's not in the tomb. He is risen. He's conquered death. The resurrection means Jesus has power over death, and that means there is nothing that you face that you have to fear because there is nothing that Jesus does not have power over.
Resurrection is proof of that. It means that whatever you're facing, you can let go of your fear. Brings us to the, what, to the next what now response. <clears throat> Instead of giving into fear, we, let's, let, let's give Jesus the worship that he deserves. Let's give him the worship that he deserves. In church, we talk a lot about obeying Jesus and following Jesus and trusting in him and praying in his name and asking Jesus to work his wonders among us and, and all of this. All those are good things, and we need to do those things. We're going to continue doing those things. But our response is incomplete until we give Jesus the worship that he deserves. Look at how the women responded when they, centered, when they encountered the risen Jesus on the way. Verse 9 says they ran to him. They grasped his feet and they worshipped him. So they threw themselves at his feet and they worshipped him. The most common expression of worship in that day was to, you know, you know on your knees and, and, and face to the floor, face to the ground. And that's what they did to Jesus. They fell at his feet embracing him. And they worshipped him. They, they were overcome with joy and they were overcome with an uncontrollable desire to worship. I want to say something about worship. You know, often we're more likely to worship with greater passion when we're singing our, our latest and greatest and favorite song, right? The newest song, worship song out. We're just, oh man, I love this. And we're worshiping and, you know, raising our hands and singing out loud. And, or, or, or maybe when things are going well for us, you know, we walk in here, things are going great. And, and we walk in and, oh man, I just feel so good. And I want to worship. But when the worship team plays a song that maybe we're not crazy about. Or, you know, and, and then, then maybe we start to disengage a little bit. But when we do that, it's an indication that our worship in reality is rooted in us and in how we feel. The worship that Jesus deserves is rooted in him, in who he is, in what he's done. And when we encounter him as the Lamb of God that was slain to take away the sin of the world and now he's risen from the dead, then we will worship him as he deserves to be worshipped. You want to see what worship is like? Go home today. When sometime today, get away from all the craziness of the family dinners and the egg hunts and, and all of that and just take a few minutes, take 10 minutes out and just read Revelation chapter 4 and 5. You'll see a picture of what's taking place around the throne room of God and you'll see the worship that's taking place around the throne. And it's non-stop. When we truly see Jesus the risen Jesus, then we, it won't matter what song is playing and it won't matter what our struggles are because we're looking at the resurrected Jesus and that's what's determining our worship. Not what we're going through or what we're feeling at the moment or what's going on around us. When we encounter the risen Christ, any response that does not include wholehearted worship means that we haven't fully grasped the reality of who we're looking at of who we're encountering, of who is standing before us. The disciples had the same response as the women when they saw the risen Jesus. Verse 17 says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. No hesitation, they worshipped him. He deserves worship. Why? Because he's God Almighty. He's God in the flesh, and he rose from the grave. 
Nicene Creed says he is our Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. He is worthy to be praised. He's worthy to be worshipped. He's worthy to be adored. And yet with all of this, Matthew tells us that when the disciples came to Galilee and saw Jesus, they worshipped him. But then it says in verse 17, but some of them doubted. <clears throat> and we look at this, and right away we think of Thomas. Thomas always gets a bum rap, right? Doubting Thomas. Is that right? Doubting Thomas? How many know him as anything other than doubting Thomas? Okay. But did you know one other time he grabbed a sword and he was ready to go and die for Jesus? We don't call him ready to die for Jesus, Thomas right? People don't remember things like that. They, they always look at the weaknesses, you know, and, and, you know, it's no different today. It's no different then, but, you know, doubting Thomas. So, but the thing is, he wasn't the only one. It says some of them, plural, not just Thomas. Here's the thing we need to keep in mind. There will always be those who don't quite get it, even when the truth is right in front of them. I also want you to know what happened with the Roman guards. Matthew tells us that after the earthquake and after they saw the angel, the, and, and you know, then, then you know, they, they fell on their face, and then after their fear subsided just a little bit, they went and they took a bribe from some of the religious leaders, fabricated a story that the disciples came and stole his body while they were asleep. There will always be those who out of their own self-interest will deny the truth even when it's right in front of them. And there will be always those who simply refuse to believe because they don't want to believe. You realize that? You know some people right now who just, you know, in, in spite of all the evidence, in spite of everything in front of them, just simply refuse to believe because they don't want to. But for anyone willing to search out and hear the truth, for anyone willing to check out the evidence for yourself, there's plenty of it out there. That's what Lee Strobel did. How many have heard of Lee Strobel? Okay. Uh, the movie The Case for Christ and the book The Case for Christ, the book The Case for Miracles and so forth. Um, Lee Strobel was a former investigative journalist and legal editor for the Chicago Tribune, an atheist. And one day his wife came home and said she had become a Christian. And I'm going to let him tell the story because he set out years ago to debunk the resurrection. And last year, how many remember last year fell on April 1st? Easter did. Easter last year was April 1st. He made a video where he talks about his research to debunk the resurrection. And I'm going to let him tell it in his own words. So, Lisa, can you play that? When I was an atheist and legal editor of the Chicago Tribune, I would have smirked at the fact that Easter this year falls on April Fool's Day. Because back then, I thought that anyone would have to be a fool to think that Jesus literally rose from the dead. One day, my wife gave me the news that she'd become a Christian. And so I decided to take my journalism training and legal training and debunk the resurrection of Jesus. So I spent two years of my life analyzing the historical data. And what I found 
really shocked me. I recounted in my book, The Case for Miracles. First of all, I found that there's no dispute among scholars that Jesus was dead after being crucified. Uh, the famous atheist New Testament scholar, Gerd Ludeman, says it's historically indisputable that he was dead. The Journal of the American Medical Association says that based on the historical and medical evidence, that Jesus was clearly dead even before the wound to his side was inflicted. Second, we have early reports of the resurrection of Jesus, reports that come so quickly you can't just write them off as being a legend. In fact, we have one report of the resurrection, including named eyewitnesses, that has been dated back by scholars to within months of the death of Jesus. Friends, that is historical gold. Third, we have the empty tomb, and I found that even the opponents of Jesus implicitly conceded that the tomb of Jesus was empty. And then fourth, we have nine ancient sources inside and outside the New Testament confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus. Friends, that is an avalanche of historical data. And then we have seven ancient sources inside and mostly outside the New Testament that confirm that the disciples lived lives of deprivation and suffering as a result of their proclamation that Jesus had risen. Why were they willing to do that? Because they heard a rumor that he'd risen? No, because they were there. They touched him. They ate with him. They talked with him. They knew the truth. And knowing the truth, they were willing to proclaim it, even despite the suffering they endured. Friends, I spent two years investigating this evidence. And it came down to one day when I reviewed it all and I thought, you know what? Based on the historical data, my verdict is that Jesus not only claimed to be the Son of God, he backed up that claim by returning from the dead. And that's the moment that I decided to confess my sin, to turn from that, to receive this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus purchased for me on the cross. And at that moment, I became a child of God. Some people have a rush of emotion at that moment. I didn't. You know what I had? I had the rush of reason. Because the resurrection of Jesus is not some April Fool's Day joke. It is a historical reality based not on mythology or make-believe or wishful thinking, but a solid foundation of historical truth. By the way, after those two years of investigating the evidence, he is now a pastor, from atheist to pastor. If you're not convinced... If there's anyone here that is not convinced that the resurrection of Jesus is historical fact, I want to challenge you to look at the evidence yourself. Do the research yourself and find out. There's plenty of it out there. Don't just follow someone who hasn't done the research and claims it's not true just simply because they refuse to believe and they just don't want to believe or somebody told them it wasn't true. Do the research yourself. Not to do so doesn't make sense because there's too much that's hanging in the balance. You can pass it off and say, well, I don't, you know, I don't want to believe it. I don't want to accept it and all that. And that's, that, that's, that's your prerogative. That's your choice. but to not at least find out for yourself so you can make an informed decision. 
don't do that. There's too much that hangs in the balance. And if you are convinced, if you are convinced, then there's one thing that makes sense, and that is worship Jesus as he deserves to be worshipped. Worship him as he deserves to be worshipped because the resurrection changes everything. It's not enough to believe that Jesus was just a good man or a historical figure. It's not enough to say that he was just a good teacher or a miracle worker. Everything about who he was, everything about what he did for us hinges on his resurrection. So the resurrection changes everything. When things take place in your life that you don't understand, and when you face circumstances over which you have no control, instead of surrendering to fear and make that instead of surrendering to fear, then make this your what now response. Just just go to him and worship. So I don't understand what's going on. I, 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 you know, stuff is out of my control, but Jesus, I'm going to worship you because I know this. You were dead and you rose from the grave and that changes everything. And you are worthy of my worship. So I'm going to give you worship like you deserve. Instead of bowing in submission to fear that you may feel, bow your knee to the one who was raised from the dead on Easter day. And the, in, in, you know, in in the final words that he spoke, Jesus said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. There is no authority that he has not been given. He deserves our worship. The old King James says it this way, all power is given to me in heaven and on earth. And the Greek word, say, why is it translated, you know, one way authority, one way power? The Greek word really needs both English words to be able to translate it because it's both power and authority. He has all power and all authority in the entire world. He even conquered death, and no one else can make that claim. So he is Lord of all, and what better reason to give him our worship? And that leads us to the third what now response, and that is to live every day. Live every day as if he is with you all the way, because he is. Every day as if he's with you all the way, because he is is we feel the fear that we feel when we fear we feel that fear because we fear we feel that we're alone and that we're vulnerable and that we're unprotected and the thing that we fear is going to get the best of us he wants you to know that you're not alone and you never will be he's right here with you always this is his promise Matthew 28, 20, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's not with you as some helpless and just but, but, but sympathetic friend. He is with you as the one to whom has been given all authority and all power in heaven and earth. He is the king of kings and is with you every step of the way. Now, does his presence in your life mean that everything is going to go smoothly? No, absolutely not. It does mean that you can walk in power above your circumstances, though. And it means that you'll never walk alone. There's going to be plenty of battles to face along the way, I guarantee it. His followers faced many in the years after the resurrection. This morning in Sri Lanka, as you've already heard, 207 were killed, 500 more were injured in attacks on Christians on Easter But thing is, they didn't face it alone. 
promise he gave to her followers comes to this. You receive the power you need for daily living as you walk daily in his presence. As you walk daily in his presence. All authority has been given to him and he's here with you. He's with you always to the very end of time. So walk with him. The resurrection changes everything. The power you need for daily living, you'll receive it when you walk daily in his presence, so let go of your fear. Just leave it in the past. Leave it behind you. Worship Jesus as he deserves to be worshipped. And let him fill your life today with his resurrection power as you walk with him. If that's what you want, then just tell Jesus. Tell him you believe that he rose from the dead. And put your trust in the fact that he died for you, that he died for your sins, and that he was raised on the third day to give you a new life. And then don't go back to the way you were living before. Walk forward with Jesus as a new creation that he says you are. See, this Christian life that we talk about, it's not just deciding one day that you want to go to heaven and not go to hell. It's following Jesus and trusting Him with your life. It's living for the one who died for you. And the decision is just the first step. Sometimes we act like all I got to do is raise my hand in church and say, yes, I want to be forgiven of my sins. And then that's it and we got a free ticket, get out of jail free card. But it's not that. Yes, he did it all. Yes, he paid it all. Yes, he, 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 he takes away all of our sin. But then our response to that is to walk with him. Raising a hand and just saying, Jesus, I want to be forgiven. That, so much more than that. It starts with that. It starts with that decision, I'm going to give my life to Jesus. But then we have to back it up with the way we live. That's not what saves us, but that's what helps us to walk in his presence and his power just by walking with him. Everybody close your eyes, bow your heads. If you're here today and you've never taken that step to say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. And I do believe that he died and rose on the third day for me. And I want him to change my life. You want to make that decision now. I want to invite you to just raise your hand right where you are. And just give it to him. Yes. Anyone else? Yes. Yes. Anyone else? All right, you can put your hands down. I want you to pray with me.
if you mean it from your heart. And it's not the words. It's what's going on in your heart as you pray this. I invite everybody, if you want to just pray along and just pray as a prayer of recommitment to with those who are responding for the first time. Lord Jesus, I do believe. I believe that you died for my sins. And I believe that you were buried. And that you rose from the grave on the third day. So now I'm choosing to follow you. I'm walking away from my fear. I'm going to give my life to worship you. So fill me today with your resurrection power. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me to live for you. This is not just a one-time decision. I'm changing the direction of my life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, it's important. Change the direction in your life, walk in it. It means don't go back to the fear. Don't pick that up again. Don't go back to the, to the way you were living. Now you're living a new way. And you say, well, I don't know what that means. I don't know how to do that. He will help you. He will begin to teach you. He will begin to, to, to instruct you on how to live. So can we have our worship team come on up? Our worship team is going to come. They're going to lead us in another song. Um, if you prayed that prayer today and turned your life over to Jesus, I want you to take out those connect card, your, your connect card, that green card that was in your handout. And there's a box on the back that says, I said yes to Jesus today, or I accepted Jesus today. Or